So welcome everybody to today's episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast. And I'm really pleased to be joined by Vicky Randall. Vicky, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. And thanks, thanks for the invite today as well. What I want to do is talk to you mainly about the PE curriculum, a little bit about the uh, legacy of the Olympics of 2012. It seems so long ago now. But first of all, could you just uh, fill our listeners in about what you're doing now and a little bit about your career as well? Sure. Um, So at the very start, I was a a teacher, teacher of physical education. Um, I was really lucky enough to train on a course which was fairly unique, actually, um, in in England. There was only a few institutions where you could train in purely PE as a uh, for four years, get your teacher training and, and really subject focus. So I was trained over all key stages. I then specialised into secondary, went through a sort of traditional route of teaching and then moved to um, subject leadership in a school, head of PE for a bit. But um, at the time, and uh, I don't know if you remember this or all listeners will, there was a, a programme called the School Sports Coordinator Partnership. And I was really lucky to be... Um, one of those in the London region, which could work with primary schools through PE and school sports. So I sort of did a couple of days in my uh, secondary school as head of PE and also got to work across primary schools for the other half of the week. So that kind of gave me a really unique insight, I think, across all the kind of um, key stages as I was teaching. So I could go from teaching year one minute to back into sixth form and A-level teaching in the afternoon. It was quite varied. So from then I went into teacher education. I went to Roehampton University and worked as one of their teacher educators in primary physical education and really made a shift then to focus into primary from secondary and and make that switch and then I was there a few years and moved to Winchester University I've been there 10 years now so I've done lots of sort of varied roles whether it was sort of lead PE for teacher education across our programs working in research management across our faculty I set up and co-convened a centre for professional learning and education with my colleague Dr Marnie Seymour where we're really trying to develop the CPD and consultancy side, bridging that practice and theory and academic work into our schools and our our locality. Um, And alongside that, um, researching, publishing, writing, uh, working with doctoral candidates in education, and sort of really trying to outreach and engage with a lot of physical education, kind of outside of academia. So working with different organisations, political organisations, charitable organisations, governing bodies of all sorts. So um, that sort of led me to co-found an organisation called Primary Peer Assembly with my colleague, Dr. Gerald Griggs, where we could really start to bring some of that experience and practice and academic um, work in PE and primary into one place. Um, So currently I do a few days with Winchester a week in that sort of academic role still. Um, And for the other half of the week, I work with a wonderful children's mental health charity called Stormbreak. And that sort of brings me to where I am now, really. And I know we're going to pick up on Stormbreak uh, at the end of of our discussion and our programme. So that'd be really good to talk to you a little bit more about that. Today, really want to focus on primary uh, PE. So what are your views on the importance of PE in the primary curriculum? That's a really interesting question. Um, For me, it has a fairly unique, a unique place. Um, It's on a very uh, fundamental level. It's the only subject in the curriculum which has that physical in it and, and attached to it and that's not to say that other subjects clearly draw on the physical as part of their their subject teaching 
But um, to me, primary P has that unique space where its objective is to help that young person develop the physical skills, their awareness of their physical self, um, the development of these competencies and these physical movement competencies within fairly varying environments and spaces for learning. Um, and I often actually re reframe that question in slightly a different way to my students saying, what would happen? What, what would be missing if we took PE out of the primary curriculum? What would, what would we lose in that educational experience? So um, it always comes back to the physical, that focus on that child's physical development explicitly and purposefully. But alongside that, it's richness in how we can start to use the body in a, in a very physical embodied way to learn about other things as well, to really help that young person, especially in the primary years where some ideas of learning are quite abstract, quite difficult to grasp, that when the body's used to help, it can really help and support that learning and, and grasp what we mean by quite challenging things, whether that be um, abstract things around science or maths or number or, or even kind of social concepts, really, around trust and fairness and resilience. So um, I think it occupies quite a unique space, but it certainly isn't the only subject that does those things, but has an explicit role to do those things, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I imagine you've got a captive audience, haven't you, of primary school pupils who just love the opportunity to engage with PE, which may not always be the case when you go into the secondary age range. Yes. And, and having taught across all those key stages, there's, there's definitely a different way that the subject morphs and develops and changes to reach out to young people along their journey, their educational journey. I mean, young, we're born with that human propensity to want to move. It's its its absolutely part of what it means to be human. It happens even before we're born. So it's fundamental to who we are. So when, when we're young and in those really young primary stages, the opportunity to move and engage in movement is just still part of you know, what that body and that young body wants to do. So you absolutely have that captive audience. Um, and I could talk forever about the challenges of how we take that movement away in education and how we make children or we might label certain movements as poor behaviour or off-task behaviour and, and some of the challenges around that, that when they come to you in PE, they're like sometimes coiled springs. They're, I can do this now, I can move my body and I can explore and do what's what's natural to me. And And, and you're quite right somewhere along that child's development journey what the body's for and our interest in movement um changes um and that puts a lot of challenges i think on a p curriculum to look at itself and say well we don't like the things or move in the same way as when we're five to when we're 15 so that's how it's important for us to keep rethinking about what movement's role is and the physical place of movement in that p curriculum but yeah in in those primary years they are ready and prime and captive, um, which brings some challenges as well with it, doesn't it, of course. I also wanted to talk about the way in which the UK government invested an awful lot of funding in primary school uh, through, was it called the PE Premium? Yeah, the, the, the primary PE, the full title is the primary PE in school sport premium. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And this came about after the 2012 Olympics yeah. that's that's correct isn't yeah it? yeah so can you just talk us through that yeah absolutely so um I suppose if we go back to July 2005 when 
uh, we found out we won the bid for London. Um, one of the big strap lines for that was that, that won us the bid was this inspire a generation. I, I don't know if um, listeners remember that and, and all the sort of media around that. Um, and what that meant in practice for education specifically was, I guess, an investment and a commitment to a growth of infrastructure around sport education and to some extent the development of future Olympians but that's probably outside of um, physical education in our discussion but but what that meant was from that when the London Olympics happened in 2012 the following year in 2013 we saw um this commitment of investment. So now the the Olympics have finished. How are we going to ensure that that legacy continues and we continue to inspire young people for future generations to come? And that that came from this huge amount of funding. And I think we're now at around two and a half billion pounds since 2013. Um, it, it roughly works out at 325 million a year at the moment. Um, but it started off much smaller um, as 150 million. But it, it had huge implications for us in PE and, and primary PE particularly because, you know, we've although funding wasn't new, we've always had huge amounts of government funding um, through that. As I mentioned earlier, that school sports partnership infrastructure under Labour government back in the early 2000s, we've always had huge amounts of commitment to money. But this really stepped up and we found ourselves as one of the um, highest funded subjects or the highest funded subject in a in a primary curriculum, which is huge, huge amounts of money. So it equates to about 18, 19,000 per primary school per year on top of any other budgets they might allocate to staffing or physical education, which is, is, is huge, especially at the moment when we talk about austerity. So that commitment has been in place now. I think it's this March. We're now at 10 years since that money has been committed. Um, and yes, yeah, significant, huge amounts, which in, have huge impact on curriculum and uh, decisions made in school or around those communities, but also at a policy level as well, and how different governments have responded to keeping that money in place, which they have, um, whether it's through the coalition and now the Conservative government, they've they've maintained that commitment so far to to that money. Um, but yes, it was it was huge, and it and it coincided as well um that timing if if you can recall around the 2013 was when we had a national curriculum change um as well so 2013 saw a, a new primary curriculum in place um and physical education was really kind of set alongside it was a huge huge key milestone in our in our time frame in our history when money came in with a change of curriculum focus around that post 2012 era um which we are still in that place at the moment, um, both curriculum and finance. Why did they mainly focus it on the primary curriculum rather than splitting it with with secondary schools? Um, we've we've had a long standing challenge where primary physical education teachers have been considered as generalist teachers of PE, as most of our teachers are in primary, um, under under confident and competent to teach the subject whereas I suppose and this is a really crude I'm sure there's some more sort of sophisticated um, arguments around this but in secondary you primarily change in your you train in your subject area so I think the funding was there that if we're going to build a really strong foundation as a legacy through education we need to improve teachers confidence and skill set knowledge um, and therefore young people's opportunities and things in those primary ages plus I think that second 
point, a second point is a bit what I mentioned before about the uniqueness um, of the child through primary and and those windows of development physically um, that are so crucial in those primary years. So if we miss those crucial physical development milestones, we won't get and optimize those even if we return them in later life, even in adolescence and adulthood. So um, for me, there was a wonderful opportunity there to speak to the importance of those early years and um, physical development years, but also placing the teacher as a really important figure in that young person's education and focusing on the teacher's confidence and skills. So I, I believe that's why it was primary and not secondary. Okay, so taking it on then, in terms of recent research, what has it indicated about the impact of that funding, you know, 10 years down the line? Can you talk us through some of the concerns that research has actually shown about that? You would imagine, wouldn't you, that with that much financial government investment, which I forgot to say came from three government departments, sport, mainly education, the DfE, but sport and the Department of Health, who all had a vested interest in this being important. You'd think with something around a figure of two and a half billion, we would have some pretty ruthless and rigorous answers to that question. Um, and possibly for me, one of the big travesties of this is we don't know. We don't have that that insight. We have uh, collective pockets of regional or local understanding. There have been some early attempts to scope um nationally the impact of that money but sample sizes are fairly small actually and in my own research I was trying to make sure that whatever study I did was larger than the sample size that the government had done to to see kind of the impact of that in in the work I was looking at but I I don't think we know and I, I we know there's been some good pockets of practice but we don't actually know tangibly what impact has that money had on the intended aims that the premium P premium set out to do um, and that's that accountability question has been an ongoing concern and debate in the profession um, for the last decade actually yeah and were you worried I think I read in in an article that you'd written for the conversation you were worried about some of the funding being used to outsource it to external coaches as opposed to developing the confidence of the teachers in the primary school themselves that, that's right um I believe this was an unintended consequence actually um that that isn't a blame on government or policy or the money per se but I mentioned a figure of about 18 19k now we know that doesn't pay for a teacher <laughs> um but schools have a lot of pressures so if you've got a group of teachers or a, a, a generation of teachers who are lacking in confidence and competence a solution to that could be to not teach the subject and PE has traditionally carried a sort of specialist label which um I, I don't buy into actually compared to some colleagues in in PE but um, that it's taught by specialists, it has a specialist subject base and knowledge base, a bit like music or the arts or languages. Um, and that if we've got this problem of teacher confidence and competence, we've got this money that doesn't quite pay for a teacher. And uh, and we've got this label of, well, PE is specialist anyway, that doesn't fit our generalist teacher kind of subject remit in knowledge. Then why don't we bring someone else in to do it? So... I think what's happened as an unintended consequence is we've seen an absolute <laughs> unprecedented growth 
in outside agencies and companies, uh, removing or, as we use the term, outsourcing uh, physical education away from the teacher who would traditionally taught. So has the so the research I've done is absolutely showed that um, we've we're in a position now where most teachers are not regularly teaching physical education. And the work I did was in teacher training, actually, because we've got a new generation of teachers coming through that if we are to follow this legacy of sustainable growth, future investment in the subject, then our, our new teachers coming in should be absolutely part of that. But what we were finding is when they were going in on teaching placement or under their teacher training, the school wouldn't allow them to access the subject because the subject was being outsourced. And because the subject wasn't being taught by a qualified teacher, that had implications for quality of training potentially for that for that individual. So, um, yeah, we had 50 percent of our trainees nationally that we surveyed were teaching zero lessons of PE in their in their um, teach training experience and didn't feel they were willing to and wanted to but had no opportunity to. Um, and the main reason cited was outsourcing. And digging deeper into that, the outsourcing has grown from the from the early 2000s, actually, when it was used as a way of solving the PPA solution, you know, giving teachers planning, preparation and assessment time. We saw coaches there, but this money has come in and, and almost escalated that a little bit more because it was already a solution to a, a problem in school. So it the money then came in and said, well, you know, this can grow and even this can fix an even bigger problem of teacher confidence. So, yeah, that's that's a very long winded way. Sorry, isn't there to say um, what I think some of the issues are. I think actually we've removed the teaching profession from physical education as an unintended consequence of the P premium. So what happens if the money is not available and if it doesn't carry on, what will happen? Yeah, I think there's several scenarios here, which we we don't fully know the answer to. Um, and I think part of the issue with the premium is the short termist um, issue. There was a debate in the House of um, Commons last week that that pulled on this in terms of the premium that said we've got to stop having a year on year um, understanding of if the premium is going to continue. This this is not a way for schools to manage budgets. So the one solution is it carries on like this. We We get an annual huge amount of investment that is supplementing a teaching profession um, and it continues. And, 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 and if we go down that line, I think we are in danger of saying that physical education doesn't, isn't, a teaching, isn't required as a teaching profession. If it can be taught by people who aren't teachers that are less qualified and less you know, paid, it pays less, then we can save some money as a school. We haven't got an argument for needing teachers. Let's replace teachers. So the long-term worry of if we continue as we are is that we lose a physical education teaching profession in primary um the other consequence could be the money could just be pulled at any point i guess there's no guarantee this is forever um and if we were to do that we have not only a new generation of teachers that entered that the research i did has shown but we have teachers who were already teaching who said they weren't confident who haven't taught possibly for five to ten years um and I think, and this is just speculative, but I would suggest that they're even less confident now than they were back in 2013 or before the money came in because they may not have accessed that. The other, the other scenario that I also think is very likely is we see a huge split in the profession. 
between very, very unconfident teachers to specialist qualified teachers. So where the investment of the money has worked well, it has been in to train up really specialist teachers of physical education. So schools have taken that 18,000, added their own salary, and they have a qualified teacher based in school teaching PE throughout the whole school. Um, so we have a sort of polarised split in the profession between a specialist and a generalist who doesn't. Um, but that will be a mixed economy nationally around who you get in one school will be a bit of a lottery as to what your school does in that sense. Um, or um, the money is redirected to something else, maybe health more broadly, um, physical activity more broadly and away from curriculum. And we see PE maybe reimagined as something else um, in that sense, more with a physical activity or health focus than it is already which has a very sport focus mm. at the moment so i think several scenarios but i think for me in that that the teacher has suffered mm. potentially in most of those scenarios and schools will really struggle with that out that money to staff a subject of confident teachers um mm. in, in in you know if they even if they cut the money back in mm. that way yeah i mean when you're talking there it just reminds me how polarized again the maintained sector is with the independent sector whereas if you have an all through school your PE teachers will go and be specialists working with prep school students the other thing I would say as well what you get in the independent sector is they also bring in specialist sports coaches to try and you know have an elite squad that can go off and, and win competitions. So the key is money, obviously, but you can see that split, can't you, developing or increasing between the two sectors, perhaps in future. It's really yeah. interesting, actually, you met you pick on that. And um, something I haven't mentioned and something that I've I've um I have been criticized about when I've mentioned this issue of sports coaching. You obviously get a lot of backlash when people don't necessarily agree with your particular line of argument, but I worked in performance coaching, youth performance coaching, uh, even before teaching and certainly alongside my teaching. And I have a great respect for the, the coaching community and what they do. Um, I also worked in the independent sector and have worked in, I started off teaching in the independent sector and I, and I um, taught physical education from age groups going through and we had a high focus on competition, but we also valued what physical education did as a subject and, and, and there were lots of tensions in the independent sector. So I think the question comes back to what is it we want from physical education? When we can articulate what we need the subject to do, then we must, then we surely work out who is best to teach it. Um, and perhaps instead of saying we get rid of this workforce that we've grown, let's use them, but in the right way, maybe. Um, for me, educators teach curriculum, teachers teach curriculum, and we have that wonderful expertise and skill set that can be used to enhance that school community for sport, physical activity, health, which enhances what the curriculum offer is doing. And teachers have no time, I'm sure. They might like to, but have very little time to do that all that extra enrichment work. So that would be my ideal solution going forward. But I think there's some fundamental questions there about what are we trying to achieve? in our curriculum and therefore who is best um, and and that question changes in the independent sector potentially to the primary to the secondary to the um maintain to you know whatever it is it, it might have a slightly different answer i'm going to pick your brains now with all the skill that you've got and your experience overall looking at the 2012 olympics 
Olympics. In terms of sport and our nation's health, physical and, and mental, do you, do you think it's had a legacy at all? the 2012 Olympics? Absolutely, of course, yes. I, I've read figures on this from um, Sport England reports and, and UK government reports, and it's slightly skewed by saying, you know, if there is there is no gr- significant impact in youth participation in sports since the Olympics, so you could take those figures and go, oh, well, that's a travesty. But our population has grown <laughs> quite substantially as well over 10 years. So when you're looking at figures around percentage of engagement, you know, we actually have a bigger population than we did 10 years ago. So even maintaining that level of interest has required quite a financial infrastructure and shift. We've also had huge things like the pandemic, which have altered behaviour patterns. So I, I, I think it has. And there's some wonderful practice. And there's a lot of um, opportunity in England specifically around youth. You know, you don't have to go far to see there are youth clubs and expectations. And I think schools have got if nothing else an expectation that they need to offer they're offering things for their young people and doing absolutely what they can has it had uh, an impact on potentially what it could have done and I'm talking from a sort of education point of view in terms of PE no I think we've missed a massive um, opportunity um, two and a half billion is is a huge amount of money which if you took an even 10% slice of that we could have done huge transformational things around teacher education and teacher development and professional learning um, so, and again, depending on your argument, we've grown a sector in sport health and employment. You know, all these people who are now able to earn from the PE premium and come into schools and offer a different type of offer. Um, you could see that has a success and impact depending on what what, what you see as being positive or, or developmental from that. So, yes, we, we've, we've increased our expectation around what we expect young people to do in that offer. Has it translated into improved health, improved engagement, and sometimes questionably pockets and groups of participation have been, you know, we still haven't addressed the social disadvantage aspect. We we haven't addressed um, the kind of outreach around um, development of that young person and, and more meaningful experiences in youth sport and participation. I No, I don't, I don't think we have. Um, and I think there are still huge barriers to overcome. So, um, Infrastructure and expectation, yes. In reality, have we improved health and engagement? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Possibly not, not significantly. Um, and an interesting factor to look at this, the money came from the Department of Health and the obesity plan came out around the same time as well. And if you look at the National Measurement Programme, more money we've improved and increased into primary schools for P and sport and physical activity, there is still an upward trajectory for obesity. So... If you're looking at this in terms of has increased money in this space improved young people's obesity and health, the answer is no. And actually, the tra- trajectory of increased weight and obesity is, has moved proportionally to the more money we put in. So more money isn't possibly the solution to some of the things that government have wanted to address from a legacy in 10 years. What about girls and sport? And I'm thinking in particular of, you know, the the, the England uh, women's football team. Was that Has that been in any way linked to the 2012 Olympics or is that just developed on its own? 
uh, I, I think so. And, and I will, yes, I think it must have done. And I think we have improved elite sporting success in that time. And and, and we still will probably see that in, London, in um, Paris 2024 for the Olympics and going through. We're really going to be hitting those key milestones in terms of elite performance. But we're talking about a very, very small percentage here of young people. So we have, and, 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 um, Baroness Sue Campbell, who is tasked with the female, the women's side of the FA, she started off at the Youth Sport Trust um, before she went into the FA. And she was there around the time of the premium and, and a massive advocate and voice for youth sport and participation. And the Youth Sport Trust have been a big part of that. And her move, taking all that skill and knowledge and insight into the women's game at the FA, I'm sure. So we, we've massively grown our sector, our knowledge our, our leaders in PE sport, as well as develop the infrastructure. And I think that's why we're seeing such successes in the elite youth side um, and in the women's game in particular, perhaps. Um, but that's a, for me, that's a very small minority of young people. So there are massive wins, there are massive successes, but some real question marks still as well, I think. Now, changing tack, if we've got any of our listeners who are considering thinking about going into teaching and particularly going into teaching to train to be a PE teacher, and I know, isn't it one of the areas where we don't have difficulty rec recruiting at the moment, what would you say to them? What would your uh, advice be to them? Oh, do it. It is the most incredible career path to take. Um, I, I hope to some extent I know I've sort of come in and brought some challenges and negative issues here but but with that I hope what we've highlighted is that there's so many opportunities in PE sport health physical activity um teaching is a relational subject between that that adult that trusted adult in that role with those young people and and when you're in that space of the physical education and and, and health and activity there's nothing more personal in some respects and developing that physical learning and that relationship and and th there will be a million different ways that you could potentially impact and influence the young people so if that's your motivation for wanting to get into the teaching profession i i cannot say enough how much you'll get from going down a physical education pathway for that um and the opportunities that are now available which which potentially wasn't there 10 years ago either Suzanne you know these this change of workforce and and the leadership that comes from that so it is a very exciting time if you want to pursue and PE primary PE still remains one of the specialist teacher training routes with maths so maths and primary PE are two routes that you can uh, really specialize in at primary level um, so you wouldn't have to necessarily go into secondary to get that specialism as well that's good now finally i'd like to talk about storm break which you referenced at the start of our conversation and that's a mental health charity so what's your role in it how did you become involved and how could we get more involved how could our listeners get more involved in its work yeah i i cannot be more passionate about this charity um it's it's four years old only i can't believe that maybe nearly five but I got involved with them right at the outset. I was approached by the founder and CEO, Dr. Martin Yelling, who comes from the running world. Um, any keen runners listening, uh, he um, hosts the podcast Marathon Talk and his wife is Liz Yelling, a, a, a British um, Olympian um, in distance running. And he was, they've got a young family and, and he was a phys ed teacher as well. And just, he came and approached me and said, look, there's something not quite going right here 
with movement and how we portray movement with young people and how it can be used to really inspire and guide and that connection to their mental health we're still sort of medicalizing movement a little bit in this country like more steps and heart rate and minutes done and and young people don't think like that um we need to reconnect somehow can you help me and I was like yeah I'm sold and that came at a time where I'd been increasingly a bit disillusioned that movement um, was being narrow and slightly um, reduced down to sporting techniques and skills um, and we were losing that broad sense of rich sense of what movement can do for children so we didn't know what it looked like at the time but we we were on board and four years later we've had um amazing investment and support from BBC Children in Need as, as one of our partners who have really enabled us and over the pandemic as well really helped us create um, a, a, a some tools for children so what they aim to do is we aim to equip young people with sustainable transferable skills and coping strategies through the medium of movement to help them thrive during the complex demands of growth into adult life, which every young person will no doubt come across at some point. Um, and we, we we work with trusted adults in education primarily, but we also work within social care and health settings as well. Um, and we, we, yeah, we absolutely celebrate movement in its varied form from internal breath and balance to physical activity that we would depict as running, moving, whole body actions. And we use those movements as metaphors, as context, as vehicles for understanding mental health concepts that lead to a conversation in a very simple um, and inclusive way. Um, so that that's that's what we do as a charity. And we've just moved to, as I say, coming out of our support with BBC Children Need, be able to create a really rich online free resource um, at www.stormbreak.org.uk. All one word, not to be mistaken with the book Stormbreaker. That often happens. It's Stormbreak or one word. And you can parents, schools can sign up to free accounts. And um, because of that support from the BBC Children in Need, we, we will always have resources and materials for any parent um, with a young person under the age of 11 in that primary stage that might need some activities or guidance or information on how they could work with their, their young person and engage with their young person through movement in a meaningful way that could help them with areas of their mental health. If it's a school listening, we, we absolutely develop our school programme, um, which is a 12-week programme where we work with the adults as a cultural change process for mental health in the school. Um, and we look at those concepts of resilience, relationship, hope and optimism, self-worth um, and self-care and how we can really develop those tools and strategies and what we might notice to support classes of children as a prevention at scale model or small groups of young people that might need more help. So, yeah, it's a, it's a unique charity that uses movement in that sense. And um, we just want to try and get into as many schools as possible and help as many families as possible. Well, that sounds brilliant. And and thanks so much for for sharing that with us. And, and, and also, Vicky, what a wonderful way to to end our conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, again, there's some, some really positives that have come out of the last challenging few years and opportunities for us to rethink how we support children in both education and home and and spaces. So, yeah, uh, if, if anyone is interested, then we're a hello at Stormbreak. Um, org.uk and please just get in touch and we will help you in any any way we we can yeah well 
can I say um, it's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you today. What an uplifting, positive conversation. Um, and I've learned so much. So um, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast. If you like listening to this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.